Welcome to Business Done Differently, the podcast about challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game in business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today, we have a legend in the sports and entertainment world on the show as Johnny Greco joins us. Johnny is currently the VP of Live Entertainment for the Seattle Kraken. Previously, he was the former live event producer of WWE, the former director of video production for the Cleveland Cavaliers, the VP of Entertainment for the Vegas Golden Knights, and he even spent time with Carnival Cruise Lines and Madison Square Gardens. A few of the topics we discuss on today's show is the role of storytelling, music, and narrative with the WWE, his five E's to create a great fan experience. We even hear lessons from working directly with LeBron James, and we finish the episode with a fun game of yes and. This is a great episode with the one and only entertaining Johnny Greco. Johnny, it's great to have you on the show, my friend. Jesse, I am so happy about this. We've dodged a few punches to get to this moment, but you and me together, man, this is real something I've been looking forward to for a while. Yeah, we're here. Two entertainers, and you know, I just heard of you about just a couple months ago and started diving in. And I, I did the full like listen to every podcast. I go deep. Like I searched every Johnny Greco I could find. I was like, I need more of this. And I guess I was so inspired, Johnny, by your background on how you are. And and again, I you know, preferenced it a little bit in the intro, but I want to start with WWE because you spent a lot of time there and I want to start with some of the lessons and maybe how that experience happened for you because there's so much to gain for all businesses and what WWE is doing. Well, Jesse, first and foremost, congratulations to you and your organization. I think it's unbelievable that you guys were named top employer in sports industry by Front Office Sports. Well deserved. I've known about you for a while, ever since that MSNBC kind of piece that they put together. I was like, what is going on down there in Savannah? Yeah, yeah. I want in. So I've been paying attention and to be on this podcast with you and share some energy some uh, is incredibly flattering for me. So I'm super geeked up and thank you. And when you search Johnny Greco, sometimes you'll run into Joey Greco, who used to be the host of Cheaters. And that takes you down a whole different sort of like video. And That's who I thought I was interviewing. That, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have nothing to do with cheaters. I'm sorry. Change the whole interview process. All right, we'll go on. Sorry, I'm a super loyal guy. This is going to go for, this is going to take a left turn here. So WWE, <laughs> right? I had been really lucky working in sports entertainment. I, I always made movies with my friends and my family. And I had the video camera and I was just obsessed with Steven Spielberg and, you know, the, the independent film rush of the 90s. I was all in. Went to film school. And then got a job in sports. And I was like, oh, wait, I didn't know I could do both. I loved sports. I was a very average athlete in sports, but man, it was fun. And to be able to kind of combine those two was something my guidance counselor didn't tell me about. I just don't think it was a very prevalent sort of career choice. But super lucky, got involved and did the sports thing for a while. But after almost 15 years of, of being able to work in a lot of different organizations, teams kind of around the, uh, the country, I had this like calling for that, the bigger entertainment scope that I had seen what some of the best sports teams were doing, but then you watch what the Super Bowl's about and it's as much about the game as the halftime show. And you start looking at what Cirque du Soleil does and the entertainment involved. And so WWE had reached out and like most young boys and girls, you're seven, eight years old, you find out it's not not real. You're heart is broken. You move on to real, quote unquote, real sports. And that's what I did. So I missed the attitude era. I missed the rock and all those things. And I did some research and I was like, I remember as a kid, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, but what is it doing now? And very quickly, I was just like drinking out of a fire hose of like, 
Did you know what WWE is doing? Look at this, 100,000 people at this event. All these, the, the WWE universe around the globe, over 300 live events a year. I'm like, whoa. So once I, I really did some research, I was lucky to, to interview there with Triple H, who's one of the greatest masterminds of creation, character, in the ring, out of the ring, et cetera. His wife, Stephanie McMahon, who's Vince McMahon's daughter, obviously, and she's a genius, and they're very family-centric. They have three daughters. My wife and I work together all the time and collaborate on things, so like totally jived with them there. And then my, my other boss, Duncan, who was kind of my lead boss, who was just an incredible guy, and I got the job. I got a chance to be a part of WWE. Now what? Because I don't really understand what's going on there, and I have a lot to learn really quickly. So did you start, so you went sports to WWE, back to sports. So you started with the Marlins, correct? And then sports, and then WWE. In the, so this is, this is the middle of your journey? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it's still the beginning. We'll see. <laughs> 500, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, so it was kind of in the last, this was like eight years ago, I guess, I started with WWE. So I was like 14 years into sports entertainment, loved it. But I, I did want to expand. I wanted to get my creative teeth yes. kicked in. I wanted to, to see just how great is it out there? What else can we be doing differently? I didn't feel like I could evolve much more where I was. So you go to WWE and all of a sudden you're like, everything you thought you knew, and even if you were pretty good at it, you're not there. Because they have this whole different sort of circus. I know you're a big circus guy, P.T. Barnum and everything. And they, I remember, I don't want to name drop, but like I remember when I first met John Cena, right? We were in a locker room, probably in like Tupelo or something. And I'm coming in and I'm just, you're introducing everybody and you don't, you're not a wallflower there. Like when you show up there, you go up and you shake everybody's hand, you introduce yourself. And whether you're John Cena or the, the new kid on the block, like myself, you come in and you, that's just what you do. So I'd introduce myself to him. He's like, welcome to the circus. And you know, that was, you know, my first month in there, but little did I know six years later, just how true that really was, because it is a beautiful, magical fan-centric, fans first, which I know you know something about, sort of WWE universe, it's all for them. And it's all about the business of making smiles. That was a Vince McMahon line all the time. Treat every day like it's your first day on the job and we are in the business of making smiles. And those were just quotes that like exude every single employee, you know, performer, character, whether you're writing or you're in the ring or you're part of production, you're all part of this family that's trying to just engage fans the best you can. What I'm fascinated about WWE is you look at most sports teams, they have ups and downs. You know, you yeah. might have good years, bad years, attendance-wise. I mean, you know, you have teams like the San Francisco Giants that were selling every game. Now they struggle selling tickets. You know, it's they have ups and downs. Yeah. But WWE has endured over many, many years. They keep growing, growing, growing. And, you know, what are some of those traits that you've seen that for me, for WWE can work for either sports teams or businesses that you learn from them over six years? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost – when we're winning, our jobs are a lot easier. Yes. So fortunately, in the WWE model, they're kind of allowed to create a narrative where their big events, they win. <laughs> they, yes. they, even if one match doesn't land, over the course of 9, 10, 11, 12 matches, they're going to hit some home runs. But that also allows them to fail at times and take some big risks. And if it doesn't work, they thoughtfully program the psychology of the fan where you have a match that might only be a short match before the really long match. And there's a, there's sort of like an energy quotient that fans have only so much of. So if you burn them out with the three greatest matches of all time, or if Metallica's performing and they play their three biggest songs right off the gate, and it's kind of at the same BPM, your crowd's a little fatigued. You have to sort of nuance the ups and downs and feel. Sports inherently has that. If a pitcher is 
throwing a no hitter, going into the seventh inning, all of a sudden there's like this drama that's building and you feel it. If your team scores six runs in the bottom of the first inning, you ride that wave. But also you may be down seven, nothing after the first period of hockey. And you sort of have to cultivate and build the narrative a lot differently in real traditional sports because the sport is leading. WWE has the ability to sort of let their narrative lead. And that's what they do a hell of a job with. They engage globally. They engage and take crazy risks, whether it's the WWE network, which essentially was like Netflix and Amazon Prime and all these things, kind of before that stuff happened. They took an incredible loss and risk to do that. And now it's one of the most successful streaming platforms there is. And it's just genius. The user interface is great. The historic content is great. The new pay-per-view access is great. The tie-in to being able to communicate with the superstars is great. It's just a fascinating leap that they took, but they, they doubled down on themselves. They knew what mattered. They listened to their fans, which you know is important. And all of a sudden it connected. Why? Because they listened to their fans. They told story first, they led with their brand and they let their fans kind of be the judges of what they wanted to see. You were on a, a previous podcast and I heard you and I listened to you. I think you said story about 26 times, Johnny. You kept talking about story, story, story. And I think with WWE, you know, people on the outside, people listening from the business community, how does WWE, you know, fit with us? I'm intrigued yeah. on how storytelling, which is a big part of what you learn in WWE, how that can fit for sports teams and businesses where you can actually control the score, story, the narrative, as you say. How would you relate that? Well, I think if we go back to stories in general, man, they've been around a long time. There's plenty of religious books that prove thousands and thousands of years. People have been telling these beautiful stories. Uh, you think of like old Western by the fire. How did you entertain yourselves? You weren't connected to an iPhone. You told stories. You Maybe you played music, which is a story, right? In its own right. You have lyrics to a song. That's a story. People love to be scared. People love to be engaged. And even if it's a history lesson, I wasn't great when I had to read something out of a history book. It was kind of boring to me. And then I watched Saving Private Ryan and I'm like, whoa, World War II. I need to learn way more about it because it was told in a way with a story and just the visuals and the sound. And it just pulled me in. So an effective, immersive story works kind of, I think, unanimously for people as far as just engaging them. So if you're on a sales call and you can engage people with a story, an anecdote, something from your own life or getting someone else to share a story, everyone's favorite subject is themselves. Everybody's favorite word is their own name. If you're speaking to them and you let them share a story, first off, it's entertaining and engaging because we all like stories, but you're also letting them be the, the leader of their own story. They're main, the protagonist of their own story. So it's kind of a win-win. It works in business. If you want to call it a manipulation, you can, but I don't think manipulation is always bad. You're just letting people take center stage in their own story. And then it's really easy to have a relationship. So tell me a story, Johnny, about, uh, let's leave from there. Tell me a story of, of maybe you were in a meeting with WWE, with whether it was a Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, or, or your group, your, your immediate boss, yeah. and you were talking about either building story. What was something from WWE, like you can take us to that place that was like an aha moment for you on what we are trying to do. At, like, what, do you, what was your role with the company in building in a storytelling? So they had brought me on during a time where they, they used to call them house shows, but they kind of transitioned the name to live events. They do, like I said, over 300 events a year, but not all of them are broadcast. A lot more now with WWE Network, but they would do Monday Night Raw, and then it was Tuesday Night SmackDown or Friday Night SmackDown. That's kind of moved a little bit, but that's what people think of with WWE. Well, if they do the, the show on Monday and Tuesday, what they also are doing is Friday night, a live event, 
Saturday night, a live event, Sunday night, a live event. And that's all with the main superstars you're going to see on Monday Night Raw, but they're all honing in on their skills. They're finding the nuances when they speak on a microphone and tell a story and disparage their opponent or the, the city they're in. That's called cutting a promo, working on cutting a promo. And, and, you know, show to show, you'd see them make these tweaks and adjustments and just reading the audience, listening to the crowd. And I think what I really learned about how to win over a crowd was from Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson was part of the faction, the Four Horsemen, who you may not know that name or that group, but you do know, woo, Ric Flair. So Arn Anderson was in the Four Horsemen with Ric Flair. Arn Anderson was, was a talent agent for WWE when I was there. And I remember I was just a sponge, right? Like always trying to sponge up other things, learn things, see where it is. And I asked Arn one time during a match and I'm like, what's the difference between the good superstars in the ring and the great superstars. And he was, and he was talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin and Dean Ambrose at the time, who's now John Moxley with AEW. But, but he had talked about how there were similarities and he's like, Oh, it's so easy. And he simplified it so quickly. And you know this, but it's just important in sports and entertainment or in business. And he's like the middle of a match, there's a hold going on and the good ones they hear the crowd. It's like, ooh, the crowd's getting loud. You hear them? Jesse, do you hear how loud they're getting? Oh, my God, you hear it? They all hear it. Well, we all hear the crowd. That's not hard. The great ones, the difference, right, those inches, they listen to the audience. They listen to the crowd. They are listening to what the crowd is asking for. They are, it's like a chess game. They're five steps ahead in how they're going to separate and channel this energy. And they're not in the moment of what they hear. Of course they are, but the real good ones are, they're already a few steps ahead of how they're going to manipulate the energy and emotion of the audience. And I was just like, whoa, hearing, listening, big difference. And I'm always going to understand the difference when that's going on. Wow. One of the best lessons I learned was from Darren Ross, Magic Castle Hotel, the second rated hotel in all of Hollywood. And it's an old hotel. And he said, we just teach our, teach our people, listen carefully, respond creatively. And the same type of principle. It's so how are you listening? And I love five steps ahead. You think about anybody who's creating a script for their business, their customer experience. Are they five steps ahead and seeing if I do this, this will lead to this, this will lead to this, this will lead to this. Johnny, I love that. I'm just trying to think about how do you teach that script building, listening carefully, you know, listening to an audience. How do you teach that with your group? What are you doing? So I love that question. And again, I think we're always expanding. It's never done, right? Like I am nowhere near what I hope to be, but I'm doing my best every day. You really try to surround yourself with other great storytellers and creators. You just listen and learn all the time. It is that sponge context. You talk about it a lot in the yellow books, the yellow tux book. And I think just constantly listening. And that is whether it's to your kids whether it's to your spouse, whether it's to your boss, it doesn't matter. Like that art form of truly listening and interpreting what's being said, there's such a, so many nuances to that. And I think just always being hungry, never, ever settling for like, hey, we did a great job there. Again, you talk about this too. I think you got to take risks. WWE talks about it. You got to take risks. But I do think there's the ability to program for failure where you have your home runs, you have your traditions and, and few sports, hockey and baseball, few sports lead up to that as far as how many traditions there are in that game. But then where do you bring in the newness, right? Like you may not change up the seventh inning stretch at the Savannah Bananas. You might, but most people in major league baseball, they're not going to change that. Okay, no problem. But people love that moment. So before that great moment that you know is going to happen, what can you program before that 
that, well, let's wing it. Let's give it a go. Let's try it. If it doesn't work, we know we've got our home run moment coming up, and everyone's going to remember that a lot more than the potential failure, and we can tweak and adjust that later. But it's really important to just know we failed, we can adjust, and we can move on. But what happens if you do hit a home run and what's cooler that within one home run is back-to-back -back home runs. So a program for failure, if that doesn't work, no problem. If it does work, you've hit a home run. Oh, by the way, we have another guaranteed home run coming up too. That's a pretty happy audience as well. So it's really like a win-win scenario because you're either going to double down on home runs or you're going to learn that something didn't work or it was really close to working. Let's listen, let's tweak, let's adjust, and let's go for it again next next game or next, next homestand. I love it. Let's see if this will work. We're going to do the second inning stretch, okay, which we, we actually started doing this summer. We have Richard Simmons' character come out and start thrusting with the crowd, and it's very, very weird. So the second inning stretch for you, my friend, you may not know this. All right, here we go. We are going to do WWE entrance songs. You have to guess who the performer is, all right? And this is going back, so we'll see what kind of skills you have. So here we go. If you're going back, I may have some problems with it. I know, but some are classic easy. Here we go. First one. Oh, Undertaker, the greatest entrance of all time. The greatest entrance of all time. All right, you, I started hot. The greatest yeah, one of all time. If you see this live, I got a chance, again, it was a live event, so it was a smaller crowd in Mexico to do, to be a part of that entrance. And I still get chills. You see them right now in this video. Every time I hear that song, thinking about that moment and what that took. That is one of the greatest entrances, intros of any movie, song, athlete, team, ever undertaker so i started too hot all right so we're gonna go <laughs> we're gonna go from that one all right yes and i want to talk about that one too that's that's powerful all right next one here we go oh stone cold steve austin yeah get the let's do it yes as soon as you hear the glass you know something's happening yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right, here we go now let's go all right this, this one might be well, let's see here we go all right Oh, I know this. Hold on. Uh. Oh, the, this is The Rock. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, okay. The Rock. It is. That's what I needed to, I needed to smell it, Jesse. I didn't. I, that's why I wasn't going to open away that. That would give it away. So I came back to that. I came Not bad. Back. All right. Here we go. Last one. Here we go. Last one. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Hogan. Oh, Hogan, yes. Four for four. And, Jesse, like, and one of those were only Undertaker was still wrestling during your time. So this is insane. So The Rock came back. I didn't get to work with him, but he came back for a few of the big matches at WrestleMania while I was there. Didn't get a chance to work with Hulk Hogan, who, again, the seven-year-old Johnny Greco from Oneonta, New York, like – I remember Hulk Hogan, like we all do. He's like Mickey Mouse. Like you don't have to like wrestling. You don't have to know wrestling. You know who Hulk Hogan is. And I got to meet this guy and I'll never forget. I had to go backstage just to, I'm not going to tell Hulk Hogan anything. I just need to say, Mr. Hogan, I want to introduce myself. Cause again, at WWE, you don't pussyfoot around. You come up, you introduce yourself and everyone expects it. And that's what you do. Cause if not, it's like, what's this person on the side looking all weird or like you got to just present yourself, right? Cause it's this behind the veil, behind the curtain. And if you're there, you got to let everybody know. So I went up and I introduced myself and he goes, Hey brother. And I blacked out after that, Jesse. I don't remember anything else from that conversation, but I hear I may be the only person he ever said, Hey brother to. So that was kind of cool. I love it. I love it. Hey, dude, that was awesome. It was so great. A lot of those wrestlers weren't wrestling when you were in the business, but you know them and you resonate with them. I want to go here because the power of music, you know, I know you spent some time in Vegas. This yeah. really 
opened my eyes. I was, I was giving a speech in Vegas about a year ago, a year and a half ago, and my wife and I were walking down the strip, just checking things out. Wherever we went, there was different music. There was yeah. music, music here, and it was an energy booster. The value of music and interest, I want to see like, how do you plan to incorporate that more with the cranking and the teams that you're working based on what you've seen with music? Music's everything. Music is the heartbeat of an experience, I yes. really think. Now, Vegas takes it to a whole different level, yeah. right? Because not only do they have the lights that make you feel certain things, like red, and you learn this in school, but you also just learn it from looking at a red light, you feel passion. You feel anger. Maybe you feel fear. Like, that's a feeling. You, you look at a blue light, and you, you immerse yourself in that blue light. You feel cool, crisp. Maybe you, you literally get a little chillier. Cirque du Soleil does a hell of a job with this. But also, there's all these senses. Like, another thing Vegas does that I didn't know this was real till I was there, but they have, like, I think they call them mixologists or centologists. Yeah, yeah. But literally, Jesse, you go into Casino X, and they have someone who spent probably a lot of money and a lot of time perfecting the way they want it to smell when you're there. They figure out not only what type of music, but what's the sequence of, again, the rhythm, the feel, the melody from here to here, song to song. What's the volume of it? Because music's great. And when I hear Dave Grohl, Foo Fighters, I want it loud. But when I hear Kenny G, maybe not so loud, right? So you got to make sure you're programming it at the right way. We can have the best actor, the best script, the best game, the best mascot, the best music, the best sound system. But if you have the milkman driving your NASCAR, it's not going to do the work you need it to do. Like you really have to work on making sure the right people are in the right places. The story is in place. So you know how to make those split second decisions and then just be really open to understand music is as invaluable as it gets. So to answer your question, I was kind of long winded there in Seattle with the Kraken. Seattle is a music hotbed. It has been for a really long time. Jimi Hendrix, yeah. mix a lot, right? The Nirvana, grunge. I mean, you can go back and back and back. Ray Charles like, was here before he recorded one of his best albums ever. The influences of the Seattle sound is so important. So, you know, music's one of those things where we'll play, you know, are you going to like every song we play, Jesse? No, no way. If we did that, we're, we're placating too much. And also it's an impossible goal. We're going to play 250 to 300 songs a game at a hockey game that's going to be moving and shaking. Now you may only play two seconds of it. You may play two minutes of a song. It may be under a PA announcement. Welcome to the game. And the music's a little bit, yeah. you know, as a music bed, or it may be the goal song itself, which is going to be a lot more of a concentrated focus and a lot more prevalent in your memory. But there's a lot of music to come from. And we want to be regional, but you also want to be global. We're going to have, we're going to have players from Finland, from Sweden, from Canada. We don't want to just play C Seattle stuff. We want to honor our team. We want to honor our, again, very local city, but also a transient city. This is this innovative, voyeur, you know, kind of community where the Amazons and Microsofts and Boeing, they've all been here. So, like, we also need to have this pioneering spirit as we develop the show, the experience the sonic brand which is still being defined as we go but the beauty of it is here in seattle there's definitely a sound of seattle but man you can go you, it's a wide scope you can play a lot of stuff and, and claim it as seattle because it's just such a phenomenal music hotbed yeah i think you know obviously sports teams think about music but not as much as they should businesses i don't think that think about music at all it should be the start of everything marketing your videos you know it's not just like hey we're gonna create a video what music is laying the foundation like when we came up with you know can't stop the peeling we designed the whole script for can't stop the peeling because of the song same thing with old town road you know i think about sports Johnny. it's like triggers 
for the sports teams listening right now, the triggers, when a song happens, does your crowd know what to do? Yeah. How many times in a game? So right before the game, when we play, nah, Savannah, everyone in the stadium puts their hands up because they know it's banana baby time. You know, as soon as that trigger, how many, how do you plan those? Uh, You know, creating a script. uh, Do you plan this? I'm just trying to understand like how a company can learn from how to put music or a sports team into their entertainment experience. I think there's, there's, what you really want is a Pavlovian response, right? If I say, da 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 YMCA, you may not raise your hands, but in your head, you're thinking about it, if you know. So like that has that response. Now, how do you create a sonic brand with your brand, right? Whether you're a tax attorney or a bank or, or a, a minor league baseball team, mm-hmm. like is there an opportunity for a sonic brand that when people hear da-da-da, da-da-da, Yes. Like, you know what that is. Everybody knows what that is, right? Like, McDonald's, like this sonic brand doesn't need to be a seven minute song. It's a two to three second little melodic catchy thing. Now, I'm a massive proponent of when you hear something, it does create a call and response because then you are actually involving people. So even playing the Lion King theme, that's making people raise up. That's a back and forth. They're not verbally yes. chanting. Like if we say, let's go crack and go crack and go. Like we're asking them to be a part of it. That's one way to do it. But literally just having them physically be a part of it or have some sort of physical response to it. Start with your employees. If they can have that, it's going to carry on to your brand in other ways. And my kids are eight and nine right now. They know like the Allstate jingle and they know like they'll hear something like oh that's the Allstate commercial oh that's farmers insurance like it's ridiculous to me like I didn't know what insurance company names were when I was eight years old but because of music the power of music as you said it can pull people in that aren't even your normal demographic as a fan base. I love where we're going this I'm thinking about someone like that's wants to tune into this all right the two crazy entertainers how does this fit but we've talked about how to use music to entertain how to use storytelling to entertain. We're looking at all those opportunities to think, I believe that in entertaining, the definition of entertain is to provide enjoyment and provide amusement. Aren't we all in the entertainment business? And yeah. so if we're all in the entertainment business, how can you take out this? So how are you storytelling, narrative WWE? How are you using music to try to get familiarity, call and response triggers? What else, Johnny, as a person who's been in this entertainment business for so long, what else can we take from this, from the different lessons? I mean, I'll always, you said this, Jesse, like we're all craving experiences and more than ever in a pandemic, a global pandemic and and what's all happening right now, like we've never craved them more. Now an experience could be on your phone, you know, playing Candy Crush. An experience could be dancing to Can't Stop the Peeling. An experience could be getting a high five from a mascot. An experience could be you know, the year in review by Google where you get all the feels going through what 2020 was. And, you know, there's, there's a million different experiences out there, but it, it is unanimous. We've all been craving this our whole lives. We have since we were children. We have as, since we're just bigger children. <laughs> refuse to use the A word. We're not adults. You got to have fun with all this. Yeah. Right? We got to have fun as we go. And, and there's a powerful thing. It's happened many, many times, but very recently with the Spanish flu, very recently with the Great Depression, you know, People couldn't afford meals for families, but they would save Tuesday night. We're not going to eat, but we are going to go to the jazz club or we're going to go see the film. Like people crave the suspension of disbelief. The power of lifting the spirit is not quantifiable to my knowledge, but man, it's a heavy, beautiful lift that's worthwhile and creates lifelong fans for your brand. And again, there's a million ways. Like 
you're a banker, you're like, what are you, what are you talking about telling stories? We all tell stories, whether it's a presentation of yourself because you deserve a raise, tell a story and weave this, this tale that makes me believe in the spirit and the story of where you're going. And I'm going to give you that, that raise, you know, if you're looking to upsell a, a partner that you've had, but you need to re-engage them and let them know, look at the value we brought. But let, what about hope? Hope is an important word right now. It's always an important word, but more than ever right now, the hope that we can get people to see a vision that they may not see yet. That's part of storytelling. So people say the word like, it, it's like, oh, you're a hippie, you're a storyteller, you're this. We're all storytellers. You don't have to label yourself that, but it's all about building up the experience, right? With the sights, the sounds, the tastes, all, all of that. And, and it's kind of a beautiful thing, but I think the first thing is just believing that you are that. And you don't say, oh, I'm Steven Spielberg. I'm Jerry Bruckheimer. It's like, no, like, the, yes, of course they're storytellers. They're world-class storytellers. who made a gazillion dollars. But we all are. When you tell your daughter a bedtime story, she's going to remember that forever. Like, it's just something that her soul holds on. And, and that's a beautiful thing. So I think remembering that we're all that and there's different ways to tell stories is really important. I'm going I'm to play with some E's now. I know you're famous for your five E's, but if you were going to create an entertaining, extraordinary experience, all right, what's that called? Alliteration. You have five E's potentially to do this. And I think it's so valuable. You can share what they are and maybe a little piece on how you develop that. Yeah, sure. So, so I've definitely, we talked about listening and expanding always and never stopping. And, you know, 10 years ago, I had noticed a certain trend happening where I was like, you know, you really, education is really important. You got to have education. You got to educate your fans because somebody's coming to their first game ever. And I remember going to my first New York Mets game ever with my dad, 11 years old. Howard Johnson hit a home run, lifted his cap to the crowd, which you didn't see on TV at the time. So I was like, oh, what is that? The green grass, the big apple raises at Shea Stadium. And I was like, whoa, now Jesse, ask me who won that game. I have no idea. But like, that was my first time. So there's people coming to a Savannah Bananas game or eventually a Seattle Kraken game, and it's, it's going to be their first time ever. So what are we doing to educate them about this is the kind of fan you're going to be, this is what your team is, this is where to get the best sushi, here's when we do the can't stop the peeling dance contest. Like all of these things, just kind of educating all the time. This is your mascot and why. But you also have people who've been tried and true fans for 50 years, and they're coming to their 1,000th baseball game tonight. So how do you keep it fresh for them as well? Well, honoring traditions as well, but education is really important. And then again, I used to have three, but it's evolved into five because I was talking to a group, a, a rodeo group, because you can always learn about storytelling, right? Like rodeo. Yeah. Go to the Calgary Stampede, who have some of the coolest, most creative people on earth. And that is a circus for Western events like no other. And it's just the coolest sort of thing. And they fuse Zach Brown band playing and Tim McGraw playing and then kids riding like mini horses, mini ponies. And then you have funnel cakes and then you have circus rides. And they, it's this incredible, they honor the indigenous people of, of Calgary area. And it's just, they're covering all of these beautiful boxes over this like 10 day festival. And when I was there, somebody was like, you need to add some E's. So the E's are educate, engage, entertain, enthuse, and evaluate, right? So educate, we talked about, engage. This one's easy. You do it with the raising the baby, right? Like, I'm going to engage my fans. I'm going to have them be a part of this moment. Some people do it with, what song do you want to dance to in the third period? 
text in your, your vote or send up your Twitter pictures to our video screen if you have something like that. You can engage at the games with, with your usher, your, your singing vendors. They're literally making eye contact with people. They're high-fiving people. They're literally just a smile is an engagement. There's so many ways that we forget that we are engaging all the time. So that's really important. But you want to involve the audience in the experience. It is their experience. The fans' first experience is about engaging them in it, letting them help create their stories. You're a caveat to it. You're the showman, that, but you don't do it without your incredible cast around you doing it. So engaging. Then you want to uh, entertain. Cat videos are fun, Jesse. They are. I don't know if you like cats. Doesn't matter. If you show cat videos at your games? Well, the Kraken right now haven't shown any videos on games yet, but you never know. Part of other teams I've been with in Vegas, we would have, and this goes back to, honestly, Cleveland days. There was like a ridiculous screensaver with a pug just licking the screen. Just, just for no reason at all. Icing, 20-second whistle. We don't have any PAs. Let's play a really good song. The game's tied. It's not an intense moment. Let's let the fans just breathe and talk. And there's a pug licking your video screen, a 20-foot pug with an eight-foot tongue licking the screen. That's fun, Jesse. Whether you're up 7 nothing or down 7 nothing. fun for fun matters. And sometimes we get a little complicated. And you want to be sure, no matter where you are on the planet, like, there are, unanimous, there are universal rules of, like, what's a good time. And physical comedy, people generally understand at all ages. And, and you know, music, people can just feel. When you understand the words or not, you can feel it in, in your bones. And, and just making sure that you're having fun as you roll and not complicating. When we were in Vegas, it was like, oh, you're in Vegas, entertainment capital of the world. You can't do kiss cam. And I was like, wait, time out. Why not? It's fun. Like, we totally can do kiss cam. We totally can do YMC. We can totally do the wave. Like, these are things that are just, they're fun all over the place. Now, it's when you program the fun that matters. And that's kind of the art and the nuance that, you know, you make 100,000 mistakes over, over, this, over a season and you hope to get a couple right as you go and you slowly learn. But so that's the entertainment side, right? Super important. And again, when, in sports, when you're winning, all that entertainment stuff's a lot easier. It's a lot more fun. Uh, then you do enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is important because with the first three E's, you build equity, right? Another E. But you build this sort of relationship with your audience, with your fans. And when you say, hey, season tickets on sale now, if they're enthused about your product, they're, they're going to be quicker to get first in line, quicker to click on the link. If they're enthused about the two-for-one beer special, they're going to get in line. If they're enthused about the third jersey you're unveiling, or if they're, you know, bottom of the ninth, base is loaded, they need your, your crowd needs to be loud. Well, they're invested in your brand. They're going to be more enthusiastic when you say, make some noise, get loud, we need you, because you built up that equity with those first three E's. So enthusiasm is an important one when channeled properly and not overused can move mountains. And something that people get very confused on, on the topic of enthusiasm is we all have done this. I've done this. Make noise, make noise, make noise, make noise. It's like, stop going to that well. You, you're not asking them to make noise. You're asking them for their energy. They required a ton of energy and resources and time to get there today. They had to park. Maybe they had to pay. Maybe they had to walk long. Maybe it was a rain delay. They've, they've exuded a lot of energy already. Now, there's other ways to build up and reciprocate energy. And it's not just asking for more noise. You go to a comedy club, you laugh you know, hitting your buddy's arm. You're like, oh my God, this is so funny. You feel energized. You see a really good mascot video. You see a military hero come back and surprise their son or daughter on the ice. All of a sudden you're in tears. And the truth is we haven't asked you for noise. We've just refueled you with energy. And, and this is almost a golden rule. After you have one of those moments of energy infusion, 
the audience on their own have been so lifted that they will now do their own banana chant, their own go nights go chant, their own let's go Knicks chant. If you've given them this allowance and you've given them this fuel to sort of use organically without telling them what to do. So it's an important, again, it's a nuanced sort of art. And so if you say, make noise, make noise, make noise, just be mindful of that as we're kind of working with our audience. Because we're working with them. We're not telling them what to do. We're sharing the experience with them. So that's your enthusiasm. And then the last one, evaluation. And this, we all evaluate. We all talk about, oh, that was great. Oh, that wasn't great. That, you know, and there's so many different ways. In the moment, when you're making a thousand split-second decisions, you can evaluate, ooh, that didn't work. Okay, move on. We can't dwell on it, but we're going to talk about it later. But you're constantly evaluating how the audience is going. You're listening to them. But again, WWE had 300 live events a year at the time when I was there. And after every single one, we had to write a report to the top. This, this report went to Vince McMahon, Hunter, Steph, all of the leaders, because they wanted to understand what was going on. They couldn't be, when there was a show going on in Tupelo, Tokyo, and Paris, they obviously couldn't be in all those places, but they wanted to know how the narratives were playing out. They wanted to know how their characters were developing. They wanted to know what the audience's responses were. So after all of these events, we'd have 12 straight shows on a European tour, 3 a.m. on a bus going to Blackpool, England, and you're, you're writing, typing out this report of like what worked, what didn't work. And I, I've kind of transferred them into pros and grows. I try to be as optimistic and positive as we can. So it was essentially that. This is what worked really well. These were your pros. Let's double down on them. And here's our grows. These are the things that didn't work, but with a little bit of thoughtful development, we can adjust, we can tweak, they can get better. Or this was a catastrophe. Let's punt and never do it again but let's be willing to take those risks. So the evaluation portion in our world now where we work so fast, Twitter, Instagram, like, dislike, move on. We, we don't breathe ever. So yeah. trying to, forcing ourselves to carve out time to evaluate, I think is imperative to make sure we're listening to our audiences, to make sure we're listening to our teams, our culture, and to make sure we're just, we're, we're listening to ourselves. Sometimes we can just go so crazy and you're not just breathing. Like me right now, talking to you. Uh, no, that's why. You know, it's funny. I want you, you, you come alive when you're talking about these because you've developed these and you have passion because you believe in them. It's about the education. I mean, your energy is awesome. And I'm like, all right, I could go on any of these, but I think the one that most teams probably don't do well is, is the evaluation. You know, I, I think about, you're right, Sam, we're running, we're running, we're running. And I think about this. I mean, we talk after games, but there's no real full evaluation. And for us, we do a brand new promotion, one or two we've never done before ever in front of a live audience every night. Most of them fail, but we don't write the details of why did it not work. And, yeah. and so can you share like maybe a little bit more of the format? Like, and have you done this? Like, what does it look like after a game? Who's part of the meeting? Who's yeah. writing the, for, the, the evaluation? How is it? What does it look like? So I think, I think part of marinating, and there's a million ways to go about this, and I would love to learn how you guys do it and other teams do it, because I think we can, again, sponge like sponge. So I think the WWE way was, you know, you kind of wrote it out paragraph. Match one, this is what happened. And, and you kind of go chronological, sequential. So it's like each match. So like a sporting event, it could be each promotion. Hey, this promotion, this is what it went through. Each match, okay. Now, what, what we kind of added in Vegas was, and first thing that's really important, I think, is after the game, Everybody, the adrenaline's high or low or all these other places. It's, it's a slippery time to over-evaluate. I think you've got to talk through things. I think you've got to, especially important things or things that went really wrong or celebrate the wins if they went really right. But going too far into it after, you know, a 14-hour day, and it's, it's hard to be fresh and really get proper feedback. And, you know, so what, what I'll do generally is write up the report as the game's going on, like literally on the script. I'm like, oh, 
And I have like, I, I have them right here. You'll see them green pe pens, red pens, bro, pros and grows, right? So the green for the grows, like, cool, this was good. And I just make these notes on the script. And then that night or the next day, I'll then kind of write it chronologically. And this is what I did take from WWE because it was interesting. It's like, what kind of audience did you have? Like, as they came in, what did they feel like? Was it a tired audience on a Thursday night after the stock market went bad on Tuesday and, and uh, there was, there was a, a, a flu outbreak at the school and everybody's like, there's all, you know, is it raining out? Is it like all of these different variables just to sort of set the bar a little bit about what's going on? Like, cause you could say, Hey, the Seahawks won on Sunday. They won the Super Bowl, and we have a game on Monday. It's like, awesome. Well, Seattle as a city is probably tired because they've been partying so long, but how do we ride that wave? Right. So just being aware of what's going on on the planet and definitely in your city, I think really helped. And then you just, you write this report and a, a big, the president of the Vegas Golden Knights, Kerry Bubles, who's one of my great friends and one of the great leaders I've been around. He had a line that I just, I, I love is visibility creates accountability. Visibility creates accountability. So I, this, this pros and grows list, this is not just for three people. This is not just like, oh, we're only going to share the good news with these people. Or we're only going to talk about the bad things. It's a very openly shared email or document at the end of the night. Again, usually it's the next day. Actually, yeah, I did switch that in New York. It was the next day where fresh minds take a look and, and celebrate the wins. It's very, we do this a lot in our evaluations. We kind of just look for what's wrong to fix it. And it's like, man, if you want to lift the spirit of everybody, you've got to celebrate the hard work that it took just to have a game successfully work, let alone a promotion successfully work. Let it, you know, just for those things to be executed as a win. Now, if they were really done well, celebrate all the people who were a part of it and bring the spirits up a little bit. I'm a big like, and let me ask you this, good news first or bad news first? What do you like better? <laughs> I think, oh, geez. I mean, I feed off positivity. So I feed off the positive stuff, I think. But we always say praise publicly and give constructive criticism individually. Oh, see, so if it's harsh individual criticism, I totally agree with that. And I'm the same as you, Jess. Le build me up with positive reinforcement. Give me the good news yeah, and I yeah. will, I'll be able to handle the bad news no matter what. But if you give me the bad news, I start thinking so much about what went wrong. And the positive news is wasted because you're, you're in your negative zone. Yeah. And a lot, not everybody works that way. It's interesting to understand creatives need to be led in different ways. And I think that's an important lesson for all of us. But that evaluation process, you know, now again, if there's something really sensitive or delicate, that's one-on-one -on -one stuff. That's smaller groups. You don't want to hurt feelings, but it's okay. And I'll be the first one to say, I botched this one up. This was my bad. I told you guys this would work. You believed in me. It didn't go well. My bad. Because then you're like, oh, wait, so quote unquote, the boss can make mistakes and it's fine. What a great allowance for me to also take risks. And again, they're not really mistakes. These are just grows that we can develop and evolve into. So I think that evaluation process is still something I'm developing and I'm super stoked to listen to how other groups develop this in general. But I think it's essential to the evolution. I was hell bent on not evaluating all the time. Now the game's over. It's fine. It was good. We'll, we'll do it again. And, and then I started to see the value of like, Ooh, remember that note that one person said, and when you do create that visibility space, a safe space for people to chime in on, anyone can ask because that you've provided this space. And this is, I'm sure you've read it. The Pixar book, creativity, Inc. they talk about the brainstorm sessions and like everyone has a seat at the table. If you're living and breathing that in every single process of your guidelines of your business, everyone really feels like they can be a part of it. You know, people over process, no matter what, if you have the right people and then you set them up with the guidelines, they're going to raise the rest of the ships for everyone. So the evaluation process is like every other process in business. 
It's so good. And I think so many companies aren't doing it. You know, the company's business sports teams, they're not evaluating enough. They're just not evaluating. And I think, Johnny, I want to quickly, we're going to do a few more things, pivot here, but I want to, a quotable. If you can evoke any emotion, that's a win. The worst thing is indifference. I'd rather you hate what we tried or love what we tried than not just even care or talk about it. That's from you, my friend. That's a quotable. Into this, throw the other one, evoke, two more E's, evoke emotion. All right. Tell me a little bit about that and what you've seen or maybe a story that goes along with it. I know you had some special ones in, in Vegas as well. Yeah. You want that emotional connection to your audience always. And it's not always positive, right? WWE showed me the power of energy and they call it their good guys, baby faces, and their bad guys are heels. And they very clearly assign who's who. The bad guys have a certain look. The good guys have a certain look. So baby faces get a huge pop, right? And they get a ton of heat. These are all like carny words that these guys, these guys all use for things. So a baby face comes out, huge pop from the audience, big roaring crowd reaction. Awesome. Well, the bad guy comes out. He also got a massive pop. Now it was all booze. I hate you. Get out of here. You know, but it still was an energy. So whether they like you, hate you, et cetera, you're channeling an energy and you're making them care. They are connected to your brand. The simplest form of this, and sports do this all the time, and there's different levels of, of how well it's done, but the good guy, bad guy. Well, Savannah Ban Bananas take on this team that comes in today. Well, obviously most of your audience are Savannah Banana fans, yeah. but what makes them even more of a fan that night is if you – make the Darth Vader, you make the bad guy, your opponent that night, a worthy adversary. What better hero than the hero who takes down the big behemoth monster bad guy? If you downplay your opponent and you win, it's like, oh, cool, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. There's not as much an emotional investment in it. In Vegas, we didn't know what kind of hockey audience there'd be. It was a great hockey audience, but assuming maybe they didn't know it that much, Calgary Flames come in. This is their history. They're entering our fortress. They're, it's like the Calgary's like, hey, man, we showed up to do a hockey game. But we built this narrative saying basically, yeah, they came into our arena. Well, they've entered our fortress. They're going to play our team. They've challenged our knights. All of a sudden, you're just building a narrative of the bad guy, which makes me dislike them and channel that energy that way, which then fuels back the positive reinforcement for the good guy. So I think evoking that emotional response. It's all about energy. We're all made of energy. Sound is made of energy. It's just making sure that we're respectfully allocating it at the right times and fueling our fans up so they can be the energy when you need it most in a close game to provide home field, home court, home ice advantage. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's not probably done as much as it could be in sports. You know, I think about, you know, you don't want to touch the visiting team as much. So you like kind of dabble on it. You know, yeah. we Undertaker's theme song, we used to play that. We had a Grim Reaper that would walk over the visiting dugout during the lineups. But it was more just tongue in cheek. That wasn't necessarily yeah, yeah, like, yeah. but it's like, if can you get another guy on the team to cut a promo like WWE would do? Can oh, you get another guy on the, you know, we do tug of wars between the two teams before the game. So we get three guys from one team, three guys. Out. Ideally, the perfect scenario is the visiting team to win and oh, pull them gosh. down and start taunting our team. That's the perfect scenario. Because then the crowd's booing this guy. They're hating this guy. They're, and then when you win or when the guy who lost the tug of war comes back to hit the game-winning save, like all of a sudden this guy's as heroic as possible because, you know, Tom Brady, he's amazing. Oh, my God. But, like, it is harder and harder to cheer for the good-looking guy who has the beautiful wife, beautiful family, wins all the Super Bowls. And, I'm, by the way, I'm a Tom Brady fan. I think keeping that level of excellence is just unbelievable. But it is harder to pull for him. Now, the year he, he got his knee hurt, 
it was kind of like, oh, like, is he going to come back? Okay. All of a sudden there was sort of this different sort of empathy for him, pulling for him where fans who maybe were like hating on his success before they're kind of, oh, now I kind of feel bad. Let's see. And then he comes back and he, so even a guy like him, you know, you, you sort of celebrate the adversity because it shows the heroism even greater, I think. Yeah. How can you make people care more, create these different polarized stories? I think it's great. I want to do more of it. I'm thinking about before games this year, actually having a, two components, the visiting team and the home team actually have a, a way off. So I actually have a scale. They actually, it's just like the UFC, but he's taunting and fighting and then going from there. I think like if you can create those moments, then people might care. Because in college, summer baseball, Johnny, no one cares. You guys, NHL, they care. Yeah. Playoffs, they really care. Playoffs yeah. for us, they could care less. They're here for the show. WWE yeah. did a great job doing that. So and I, a really good friend of mine, his name's Keenan Vine up in, up in Calgary, worked with the Stampede. He, he was part of creating this Bulls After Dark. And uh-huh. it's like, what is that? What's the rodeo? The, the rodeo is like this 800-pound behemoth monster animal bull that comes out and this 140-pound rodeo cowboy is going to try to ride it for eight seconds. That alone is pretty dramatic. Yeah. But what he did was he did this really cool like WWE meets Bulls and Bronx meets rodeo meets rock concert where he had like a band and a DJ and the lights went out and pyrotechnics and then he would introduce the riders and and they essentially cut promos like WWE Jesse you you're stinking yellow you're yellow your suit's yellow and your personality's yellow and you're a coward like and that guy's doing this he's playing a character and then the other guy's playing a character so then there's I'm naturally siding with somebody right like I think that guy's funny or he's charming but I've built up a little bit more depth to their personalities and he had pyrotechnics going off at eight seconds when it happened and it was just this like insanely cool way to take this very traditional beautiful western heritage sort of moment flipped it on its head and like put in all these other ingredients that are successful at other places and I was like damn that was fun like what a cool idea so I think Again, anytime you can build up the good guys, the bad guys, yeah. and the characters in general, it's just so much fun. By the way, super quick question. Did you check out the movie, The Battered Bastards of Baseball oh, yet? I've watched it like 50 times. That is a oh classic. So good. Unbelievable. So good. And again, the villain in that was actually Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. And to be honest with you, that's our closest villain too. Because yeah. the way they're traditional, the way they play, the four, you know, yeah. format, they, they take away the fun. And it was, yeah. oh, and again, he was creating a show. If you haven't seen Battered Bastards of Baseball, Bing Russell, what a story. Unbelievable story. And, and it was, it's all the guys you love, the Walt Disney, the P.T. Barnums, yeah. the, the Bill Vex. Like, like th- that was a story that didn't get as much love. And I just recently saw it. I was like, oh, my God, how is this not, like, People shouting this from mountaintops who are starting businesses, oh, yeah. who are starting sports, minor league, major league, anything. Like, if you are in humanity, like, check it out. It's just a pretty neat story about how a culture and great people can just do extraordinary things. And it's always fun to stick it to the man, whoever the man is. Like, it's just this really neat story. It's very, very well done. So, Well, again, a good question there. So who's your man? Who are you fighting against? You know, that's an interesting. David Burkus, a former guest. Who are you fighting against? And then Better Bastards, how to bring a cast of, of characters together. All different realms. And I think yeah. that's what's so good that we're doing in both our – we bring people outside of the industry, just like you. I'm so fascinated by, you know, WWE, Carnival, some of these other teams because you learn to do things that other sports teams didn't do. And so I want to finish a few things. I know you've learned some great lessons from other spots you were at. LeBron James, I've heard a little yeah. bit about this. Tell me how you work directly with LeBron James and what you learned from him. These guys like LeBron James, the John Cena's, they're like alien-esque people. Like, I don't think they have human DNA. 
Is he a great basketball player? Of course. One of the best ever? Of course. Does he win? Yes. But he's also donating millions of dollars back to the University of Akron and paying for like underprivileged youth back in his hometown. He, stuff he doesn't get nearly enough credit for. He's telling these important stories. And uh, I'm a fan of him as, as a human being. I just think he's absolutely next level. And when I was at the Cavs, he was, he was pretty young. It was his second year was my first year there with them. But he was really into the arts and entertainment and music. And he was very much into like the video open. In basketball, different than hockey, the teams are out there when that happens. So hockey, the whole show open and all that, it's a little bit more for the fans than the athletes themselves because they don't see it. They're in the dressing room. Basketball, they're on the court. It's very intimate. There's no helmets. They're looking right at the screen. And he was really into that. He was really into how it mattered. And, and I didn't get it. I was like, oh my God, I get to talk to LeBron. This is cool. But I didn't understand why it mattered to him. And again, it was psychology. He explained how, you know, we're not going to win games based on this video, but it is going to get us in the right mindset, like the right kind of music if we're working out, et cetera. It puts us in the right mindset. So he just thought it was fascinating. He was really into it. And he was incredibly artistic and thoughtful then. So essentially like once a year before the season, I get to meet with him one-on-one. -on -one and it was one of the coolest kind of, the kind of thing. If I get to have grandkids, I, I want to tell them about it. Like, I got to meet with this guy and talk to him and share ideas and learn from him. And he was so astute and studious about all things. It wasn't X's and O's in basketball. He's a savant there. We know that. But he's like a John Cena. These guys, like, they're paying attention to merchandise sales and what's the attendance in Liverpool, England, three shows from now going to be. And, like, they're just very aware of brand, of market, of experience. And being a part of that and working with him and doing some really cool videos was just out of this world. And there was, you know, I doubt he'd even remember me now, but like, it was just this really cool trust in working together where you take care of each other. And the line's like, we're not going to make you look stupid. We're getting paid by the same people. Our job is to all do a great job. So, and there was a trust that was built there and, and being able to work with him was just absolutely unbelievable. So world-class human being and, and did some really neat things there for sure. Love it. You referenced last time we talked the book, Yes And. What's the okay. biggest thing from that? Why is that a must read? So it's all about building up, right? Like, so you can no but or you can yes and. And any scenario in any business, right? If we're co-hosts, it's very easy to apply that book. Yeah. You say something and I say, yes and Jesse, da 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 But it, that applies to somebody, if you're, again, selling tickets or selling sponsorship, if somebody comes at you with a no but, blah, 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 no but, it's deflating. It pulls things down. You're forgetting about lifting the spirit. When you yes and, again, storytelling, creatively take what someone else says and build on it. You can steer the narrative back to where you need it to be, but you're, you're in this expansion sort of space where you can say no by yes anding. People don't think that. And it, it, like chess, it's a few more moves ahead than you might want it to be. It's not as direct, but you're constantly building things. And when you're yes anding and you don't allow no, by the way, the man to me is people who say no or I can't. So like, it's like, oh, I can't do that. Or we can't do that. Or no, it's not possible. That's the man to me. It's like, it's always possible if you have imagination. And if you yes and you, and you use an imagination, you can always be building on the smallest of ideas. Even what I wouldn't even label it this, but the worst of ideas that become this beautiful swan, right? It's an ugly duckling to start, but man, it's going to turn into something beautiful if you yes and it. If you say something, I'm going to jump on it and take the ball further down the field each time. And if you have a spirit of two people or 200 people with that sort of methodology, the sky's the limit, the world's the oyster. Use any cliche you want, but you're going to come up with this beautiful collaborative thing, whatever you want that thing to be. Again, a sale, a promotion, a team name, and it's going to be extravagant.
let's do it quickly. Let's do a yes yeah. and you and me. Let's have some fun with this. All right, so we're going to play a game, baseball game, where the players play with no jerseys on. Yes. No jerseys. And no jerseys allows them to wear flip-flops because it's going to kind of be a beach vibe, and everybody loves beaches. Yes, and because they're wearing flip-flops, we could also have a whole beach theme and actually have special banana Ritas that we're selling in our banana beach club and make it a whole beach night. I love beaches and banana Ritas, and there'd be a great sponsorship opportunity. We could tie in a sunblock sponsor for the night because you got to be protected if you're not wearing shirts you got to have sunblock and we'll protect people that'll be great yes and it's a no-brainer we'll go to banana boat because they already do that stuff and so we'll work with banana boat and we'll actually get a banana boat which we already have and have the players enter the game on a giant banana boat raft as they take the field yes and when is this game jesse because i want to be there it sounds fun <laughs> but that's it that's exactly it and that's a practice that you know, the Tina Fey's and, and Stephen Colbert's, all these people that came through Second City did this. And, but we can do this in the office. It's team building stuff. And some people are like, oh, that's so foo-foo. For me, I'm like, no, it's not. You are galvanizing and strengthening your foundation of who you are, how you are, why you are. And then it, it just becomes a very natural sort of thing where no one is saying no to anybody. And that sounds all kumbaya, but it can be very successful in the creative process to get where you need to be. Man. Yeah. You know what's so powerful? Uh, Duncan Worrell, head of innovation at Disney for many years, he talks about this. And what the greatest thing about Yes And, ideas don't get smaller, they get bigger. Yeah. And if you want to really achieve things, how do you make your ideas bigger? And this whole theme talking today, literally, well, it started with three E's, then it became five E's, then it was storytelling. We kept evolving and getting bigger. The evaluation started as this, then it became pros and grows. Then we kept going. It's how you grow in this whole thing is by thinking of that yes and what's next. And not thinking of, oh, hey, this yeah. didn't work, but what is going to happen because of learning that lesson? Just constantly expansive, constantly leading with yes. I always think of ourselves as a service to the fans too, right? Whether you're the production department with cameras or you're the host at an NHL game, like we're a service to the fans. So a friend of mine from Vegas, she had a boss who said this line, yes is the answer, what is the question? Yeah. So if you think of that, again, in the service mindset, it doesn't matter what you're coming at me with. I'm going to yes and you. Before you even hear what you say, that's my mindset. It's a philosophy going in. And if you think of that, we're a service to help you get what you want. Fans first, right? It's just a really powerful sentiment, I think. I know it's early, but I will finish. I want to go the last few things here. What was, what's something that you're planning that you think is going to be a dramatically different part of the Kraken experience? Well, as a showman, Jesse, you know that you can't reveal all your secrets. I think being, there's a lot we haven't developed yet. Like we're really proud that we're going to have a zero carbon emission arena. The only one on the planet. You know, like we're, we're doing some things with sustainability, using the, the rain from Seattle and repurposing it for the ice surface. And there's some things that we're going to be doing that people just aren't doing that we're really excited about. And it's not going to be the Vegas model of like, whoa, look at that showgirls and all this like that was for Vegas, like know your audience, right? It's not going to be the WWE model. It's not going to be the Cleveland model, but it is going to be a model that celebrates the region, celebrates the fans, celebrates the awesome badass work that the Seahawks do, the Mariners do, the Thunderbirds do, the Sounders do. There's all of these great teams here already who do it so well for these fans. So it's a very different sort of mindset. I think we're going to have some things that people haven't had. I won't show you my cards yet. We'll talk about it later for sure. But, you know, we got to build our team. People first. Our creative team's not built yet. And Lamont Buford's he's my guy on the team right now. And we're like, we need to expand our own people 
And then we develop this sort of creation. Like none of us want to do it exclusively without anybody else. Like it's way more fun to yes and with more people. So let's get these people, let's yes and, and then let's create something that is emotionally connected, right? Different to be different, I don't care. Different to connect with people, different to transform the world and the emotions and lift spirits and provide hope. Hell yeah, let's do it. I love it. All right, I want to finish here because one thing you did say about being the only, which I like, we might be the only, that's, that is one way to differentiate yourself. What are you doing that you're the only one? You said it with the only emissions and that I'm sure you're going to have a lot more onlys. Yeah. My last thing, you mentioned before a podcast about getting weird, the power of getting weird. I always talk about going bananas. What yeah. does getting weird or going bananas mean to you? You know, it's funny to guys like you and me. I mean, I'm looking at you. You're in a yellow tux right now, dude. I'm wearing green Crocs. Getting weird isn't a thing for us. Like we just, we roll with how we roll. And probably because our parents loved us and made us feel like we could be that way. Who knows, right? We can get to the psychology of that. But getting weird is almost like an assignment that we can offer others to give them an allowance Mm. to have fun, to get weird, to like, just know that you're in this safe space. And then there's, no one's going to poop on your bad idea because there aren't bad ideas. There's only ideas that haven't been like furbished out yet. There are, there's only ideas that we haven't like yes ended enough, but there's not bad ideas when you come to the table. When that's the spirit, it's unbelievable. Some of the genius I've been around that started with like, wait, what, what did you say? Like where people could be like, that was stupid. And then it's over. But instead I'm in these rooms with these great people who are like, wait, say that again. You know what? So if we do that, but maybe this way, and then all of a sudden it takes this crazy left turn. And then, oh, by the way, you have this sparkly, beautiful genius diamond that was created because you got weird, if you want to call it that. But I think, you know, breaking traditions, but not always just doing it to do it, but doing it for a reason, right? That emotional connection with your audience is really helpful. And if things are done a certain way, doing them different, like, yeah, absolutely. And you guys don't do it just to do it. You're doing it because it's gonna connect with an audience different. It's gonna stand out differently. It's gonna have people be like, you see what they're doing over there? Like, I want a piece of that. I either wanna work there. And I know people are banging your doors down to join your team. Like you've provided this creative inertia and this philosophy and this culture that people talk about. And that's inspiring as hell, man. Like, I love those kind of things. So yeah, are you getting weird? Sure. Are you being you? Are you being authentic? Which we all know is really important. Absolutely you are. And that's powerful because you're keeping it real. You're owning your dopeness. Owning your dopeness right there. That's the quote. Owning your dopeness. I love that. That's that's the subtitle of this episode. But uh, no, Johnny, I think that's so good. I think if people can leave this episode, you know, give your team permission to think a little differently, to get weird, to entertain in different ways, to challenge the rules of the industry, to think of music differently, to storytell. I mean, there's so many things that you can get. I'm inspired by you because I think so many people in the business world can learn from people in the sports world that are doing it not by the book. I play this song, I tell you to get loud because I'm telling you to get loud, all that. You've done that, my friend. And is there anything, again, we'll probably have to have a round two, maybe off the record or on the record, but is there anything you want to finish and share with the audience? First off, I'd like to go 11 rounds with you because this is... (laughs) So uh, let's keep going. No, you know, I look at this thing that's on my desk right now and this is, it's a Chinese proverb and this was on my dad's desk a long, long time ago and it's, it's just this thing I always keep with me and it says, those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt the person doing it. And I don't like to should on people very often, ever really, but I love this phrase. Those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt the person doing it. It's like part of owning your dopeness and creating and just being who you are is like, are you yes ending me or not? If you're not, thank you. Next, Ariana Grande, slide over. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving forward. And I think, you know, I just, I wish everyone happy creating. Your experience makers. We're not sports guys. 
we're sports entertainment maybe, but we're all experienced cravers, givers, getters. Like think of ourselves as that, build up these emotional connections with our audience, with our own teammates, yes, and the hell out of each other and lift one another up like you do the baby bananas. And you know, greatness will follow, whatever your definition of that is. And I know I've heard this a lot from you and other books is like success versus significance. Like let's be significant. Let's do some powerful things out there that move the world, lift spirits, create smiles. There's a lot of great honor in that. I love it. Leave this, have a yes and session, have a weird session, be significant and have some fun. Johnny, I appreciate you, my friend. I appreciate you, brother Jesse. Thank you, man. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe that challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered in this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.